Hey guys, Rusty here, interrupting the start of this podcast. Just letting you know that myself, uh, Greg, we all remember Greg, the man with the golden tonsils, as well as Simo, those boys from the Hunting HQ podcast, we're all going to be in Melbourne next week. And we are organising a meetup at the Union Hotel on Friday, the 18th of October from about 7 o'clock. So if you are in Melbourne, near Melbourne, can get to Melbourne on Friday, the 18th of October. It's the night before Shot Expo, which is why we are there. The Union Hotel is at 252 Union Road, Ascot Vale. You can find details on Facebook or the Impact Dynamics website. We'll be there having a few beers, chatting away, stories, all that sort of gear, a few laughs as well with those lads. And uh, come along, find out if Simo still has his moustache, the dirty, dirty, dirty moustache, and uh, whether or not Craig's still got a golden voice. Spoiler alert, he does. We would love to see you there. If you can, drop in for a few beers. We'll be there for a few hours and grab a dinner and all that sort of gear before the weekend of the Shot Expo. So anyway, that's uh, that's it. Let's get on with the show. Hope to see you on Friday the 18th. You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. Discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Impact Dynamics. And now, over to your host. Hey, and welcome to the, uh, what are we called again? Pre- uh, Precision Shooting Podcast. <laughs> uh, this is your host, the Dutchman, and this is episode six again. No, it's really 128. Correct. Correct. Mark two. Mark two. Mark two. Mark two. <laughs> um, I'm. I'll be your host tonight, and we'll be discussing all things shooting related. I guess, as per our intro. Uh, sitting over to my left, we have Bronte. How are you? I'm very well. And yourself, Dutchie? I am nervous at. at Having hijacked the host duties. It's a big responsibility. It is. It is. I feel like I've ticked all of the mandatory boxes of mm-hmm. uh, saying hello. I uh, got the episode number right. Yep. And I've introduced one of the guests. Yep. So yeah. Partway there. So we'll move on. Pack up uh, and rusty. Pack up and go home. What's up? Um, um, my inability to work technology tonight is uh, is going great. It's going great. But anyway, that's uh, that does. It's, no one be the wiser if I didn't say anything. But we uh, we already did fifteen minutes of this show, and we have. I forgot to press record, and I forgot to say anything, and we're all guilty of something. <laughs> so you know, let's move on. Bronte's just too damn good looking to make mistakes. So uh, here we are. Here we are. So in the last episode that didn't record, Brody, you were talking about your four-wheel drive trip, <laughs> which uh, I think we need to put that video on Facebook, by the way, <laughs> your impressive effort of driving uh, pretty much backwards up a cliff. Not backwards, but... Uh, but well, there were most of the wheels on the ground for a fair portion of it. Mm-hmm. They just alternated. I was trying to save tyre wear. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, that's a good way of doing it. You just, you just wanted the crowd to shriek. And shriek, they did. <laughs> they did. Yes. That's, that's the main reason I really yeah, wanted yeah, to. Yeah. Oh, no, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty funny. <laughs> yep, your, uh, your girly friend in the background giggling. <laughs> the yeah, with, without her up the top filming, that would have been just another video of someone doing something good. Yeah. But it was someone doing something great. Yeah. <laughs> with a brilliant reaction. Yeah. With a brilliant reaction. So. Yes. Oh. I don't think my voice goes that high to no. give it a go. Replicate that shriek. Give it a go. Give it a go. 
Nah, not even close. Nah. Not even close. <laughs> not even Your drums aren't bleeding. In fact, have you, so. got that, have you got that video? Uh, Play that video into the microphone, just oh, particularly sh- the ending, because uh, that was uh, that was well worthwhile. Well worthwhile. Hey, uh, I'm guessing we got some Patreon supporters uh, checking checking out. Hey, Patreon guys, thanks for being Patreoners. Um, oh, oh, look out! Here we go. Okay, good. <laughs> good. She has a voice for radio. <laughs> uh, wonderful. Excellent. So uh, speaking, speaking of Patreon supporters, hey, Patreon guys, um, as you and, and many others uh, were knowing, uh, we are getting new T-shirts made, all aspect T-shirts, all aspects. And Patreon supporters, you guys get 10 bucks off. Uh, for being legends. So if you're not a Patreon supporter, uh, jump on in and get 10 bucks off the All Aspects t-shirts. That would be great. We should should get um, on the front hashtag press record before you start recording. Yeah, that'll be... Just as a reminder and we'll wear them every time. That's the next t-shirt. Yeah. Only our Patreon supporters that get that. Press like, record. Mate, you're not recording it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Again. There's probably 20 comments of like, press record, yeah, you idiot. Press record, press record. <laughs> we don't listen to you. No. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you can provide tech tips if you're a Patreon supporter to us. Please, please, please. Yeah, please we need. provide tech tips. <laughs> we need all the help and support <laughs> we can get. Generally, if you want to send me a message on a, on a Wednesday night at about sort of quarter to nine, um, just send me a rest- message saying play press record. Press record. Yeah. yeah. Press record. <laughs> That's mm. right. And what's Andy's number? Uh, you can catch me on, uh, on Andy's number, which is. Uh, anyway, Andy's not here tonight. Um, anyway, back to the host. Um, so <laughs> this week we'll be discussing. Have we re- already done that? Haven't we? I don't um, know. Shooting things. <laughs> I should have brushed up on my host responsibilities before <laughs> I came here. Um, this is going on my resume, by the way. Wonderful. I, I've hosted podcasts before. <laughs> a <laughs> podcast that went terribly. We've got to press record. <laughs> so, so two podcasts. One. Yeah, oh, there you go. Bang. Yeah. I didn't lie. Even one we didn't press record on, yeah. and the other one we did. Well, um, I did. Yeah, I guess a whole heap of junk happened over the last couple of weeks. You know, oh, you, you've been working on your stock. I have. Yeah, I have. I'm get my uh, what is it? PRC. Is that what the rimfire thing's called? Yeah, just yep. Yeah, rimfire. Cool. Yeah, I've been working on my uh, working on my stock. Um, what have I been doing? The you staining got- and staining and oiling mm-hmm. and getting all mm-hmm. of the um, uh, ends uh, sealed so they don't let water in. So yep. you're using lots of uh, varnishes and polishes and whatnot. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, getting that ready. And I also checked my uh, action and barrel, which had been sitting in the safe, and it had rusted, mm. covered in surface rust. Uh, so Not ideal? No, not ideal at all. Okay. Um, Were any of your other rifles affected or was it nah, just, just that, that one? one? So I'm thinking it might have been the... Uh, rust preventative that came with yeah. the kit that didn't work at all. Not so preventative. Yeah. No, Encourage maybe it. it said rust creating. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, if you want that old dickety look, just rub this salt water <laughs> all over your newly Could have been opposite day. Restored. No, nah, because everything else was normal. I don't know. Yeah, it's a bit of a uh, bit of a mm, okay. kick in the balls. Yeah. You're allowed to say that word. It's okay. Oh, I wasn't going to go with balls. I was going to say kick in the because <laughs> it was... <laughs> It's more 
It's just painful. To, like, it was just covered in rust. Yeah. Okay. And I looked at it and went, mm, ouch. Ouch. <laughs> ouch. Right. Well, I'm not sure we can relate to you, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. whatever. We're an equal I don't know, opportunity. I've got a mean kick. <laughs> <laughs> Might be Those kicks up. hurt my feet too. I'm not the only victim here. <laughs> Uh, good. Uh, yeah, that happened. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Got to move forward. I've put move on. Trusty gun oil on it now, and it looks really good. Apart from the one really rusted bit, yep. you take, yep. take care of that with a Dremel, surely. Nah, I'm just going to leave it on there as a reminder <laughs> of what not to do. Yeah, pretty much. <clears throat> good. Don't do what Dunny don't does. Mm-hmm. And mm. when are you get, when are you going to shoot it? Hopefully soon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, this is the last stage of the stock restoration. Okay. Um, Almost so, there. Yeah. yeah. So you've done the glass bedding and all that sort of stuff or you're not? I'll be going? doing that uh, tomorrow. Nice, nice. Tomorrow? Mm-hmm. The next yeah. day. doesn't matter. If we're doing a double episode, it'll be a lot of time never happens. So <laughs> it will be happening in the near future. Yeah. yeah. So what have you, have you sort of done much research into that? Yeah, heaps. Yeah, Read heaps. some stuff, looked yeah. at it, went, nah, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> What's your proposed... I'll make my own way. <laughs> Expert. <laughs> What's your proposed uh, release agent? Uh, shoe polish. Yeah. The, and the... Um, graphite powder. Yep, yeah. yep. That, I think it's Quickie's natural shoe polish or whatever it is, the clear one, is yep. apparently yeah. sensational. Yeah, and okay. I, yeah. That's what I used when I did mine and it come out real yeah, easy. Yeah, I've done one before and, yeah, just... Came straight, out. straight yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Really easily. Um, but yeah, that was in a. I did one in a composite stock, whereas this one's wood. So I think it's mm. going to be similar principle. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's, it's still the same, same because it's a metal versus the yeah. epoxy. It's the same, 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 same. What same you're trying to get to release. Mm. Mm. Okay. Good luck with it. Thank you. Good luck with it. Look forward to uh, seeing that out and shooting and winning comps with it. Uh, it'll be competing. I don't know. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't shot in a number of years. Well, that'll all change soon. Yeah, that's what I'm getting. It'll the old, all uh, change soon. The deuce deuce up and running because <laughs> it's going to be what, like five bucks a match? <laughs> Pretty much, mate. Maybe yeah. ten for a big one. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... good. So good. Excellent. Uh, well, speaking of matches and five bucks a match, was enough to buy um buy some water at the last match. No, not really. Um, What'd you go to the footy or something? <laughs> <laughs> I, I said five bucks, not thirty. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, we're up in the match in Biggin, up in Queensland. Just got back from that last night after two thousand three hundred kilometres in a couple of days. Um, hightailed it back. But anyway, uh, the uh, the match was really good. Uh, Jared ran a, uh, a really top, good, quick, running through, um, very smooth, finished on time, all that sort of stuff, the important stuff, and it went really well. So uh, congratulations to Luke McKinney and um, now I'm testing my memory, uh, Crispy, and also... It's from uh, the Northern Territory, I remember the... That's right, the Gareth. Oka shirt. Gareth, uh, as well. Um yeah, I had to spend so much. All the time I was looking at results, I was pretty darn tired. So uh, uh, mm. I, Brendan, who came fourth as well, and uh, yeah, no, it was a, it was a good match, uh, good fun, uh, and and probably uh, what are we? What stories can we tell you about? I showed you some of the photos before of it. Um, there was this uh, this star pickety thing. The um, uh, what do they call the hat stand? That's uh, uh, Brent. Uh, 
Now I'm saying people who won the match as, as though they're in the room. Not Brendan. Bronte. Brendan came fourth. Bronte sitting there. Bronte, you described this before and you did quite well. What, what is this thing? Uh, it's a vertical member. <laughs> yes. <laughs> With a series of horizontal members at uh, approximately 90 degrees that are not particularly well affixed. Um, <laughs> How well affixed? They didn't fall off. Well, it yeah, but it doesn't look particularly stable. I think that's no. probably the, the key point of it there. So it's bits of star dropper. Yep. What so, do the Kiwis call that? A waratah. Waratah. <laughs> yeah, it had me confused as well for a while there. <laughs> still still confused about Kiwis in general. Uh, yeah, this thing was, was really wobbly, hard to shoot off. Pretty small target from from memory. Um, yeah, challenging sort of thing. There was a builder builder stage stage. No, builder. Builder bear. Builder bear. Builder bear stage. Um, there wasn't a bear. There was no bears. There was a dog kennel. Um, anticlimactic yeah. if there's no bear. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. You had a tyre, a, a dog kennel, a hay bale, a um, tactical uh, milk crate, um, which were locked up overnight. Of course, Bronte, I knew you were concerned good. about that. Uh, there was actually a ball as well and a couple other tubs and bits and pieces you could use. And some There's a bit of variation in what guys used to build it. Um, and you had to get over a... I don't know, about a this high, 1.2, 1.3 metre sort of high wall um, and then shoot across that. So, yeah, that was a, that was a good stage. Just did see a few things, although they're the sort of stages that really do, do the best when they run blind so that mm. you don't get to see what the other person has done before you and you can copy it. Um, yeah, there was a wobble platform that had a probably something we haven't encountered quite so much. It was a really tight wobble. So I think it was a real sort of finicky wobble, but not the big movements that you're sort of used to, um, which was, which was good. There was, uh, also, oh, that's right. There was a milling stage. There was a milling stage, which I didn't take photos of because it's not really worth worth taking photos of milling stage, but there was one of the ones put together by the Huntsman guys and it was one, you know, milling stage where you were using your reticle and knowing the target size and you're trying to determine the distance of it uh, from, from where you are. And so this stage originally was part of the match and worth points and stuff, but sort of just clashes a little bit where you really want your points to be worth uh, something where you shoot. Um, and it was very difficult if you are going to ride a stage that – just in the format, given that you're all about you know, 40 metres away from each other, where you had to mill the targets and then shoot them and then not give the distances out or have them written down or anything like those lines. Mm. Just logistically, it's a, t- a difficult thing to do on a square range. If you had multiple ranges, you can shift people off one range to the next and it's perhaps a little easier to do that. But uh, we so we took, it, we took it out of the scoring system and made its own side comp. And that worked really well because then the um, – the tendency, no, I don't want to say the tendency to cheat, but just the temptation to push the boundaries on it. Um, That's cheating. Which is cheating, yeah. yeah. But there, it was just, it was removed. It was removed from the equation because it just it didn't matter to the match overall. Uh, and there was a I've prize seen on Aussies it. play cricket. We checked. <laughs> yeah, there's no yeah. sandpaper involved. Though. We checked pretty <laughs> sandpaper to be fair. So, you know, who knows? But the. There's your, there's your problem. That's mm. right. Someone would have smuggled sandpaper in. Well, they, they may have done, just roughed up their bolt a little bit or something I'm like that. I'm just thinking like the. There's enough blood. Oh, just they probably had dust. it just to itch their balls. But I'm just <laughs> thinking the laser range running binoculars. So, where are those targets again exactly? <laughs> oh, there they are. They would have come in real handy about then. <laughs> yeah, well, the uh, so there were three targets to do, and um, the guys clearly one of those eliminator scope. Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. they had team members out there, didn't they? There was a member with members hanging off the side of it, according to Bronte. Um, Isn't that a Virus thing? The eliminator. Uh, 
Yeah, the, the, yeah, correct. Yeah. But the but team, there was a team Burris. Team Burris did, would not have been running an eliminator for a PRS match, right? Are you sure? Uh, yeah, I'm sure actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I know a guy that sells scopes with eliminators because because uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, the Burris boys. Uh, well, Scotty was there, and he just had his XTR three arrive, brand new one from Burris. Yeah, right. Yeah, so he's all excited about putting that on the wrong way. Anyway, the um, the milling stage was was good, and the guy who won. So how we we added it up is you add the three together, and then the variation of the the total number, which was about twelve hundred and fifty six meters, I think, was the ideal number, and then you, you know the variation. So the winner, uh, which was John, he was two meters of variation across all three targets, uh, which is very impressive, as far as I'm concerned. And then uh, five meters was after that, six meters, and then I think eight or ten. Uh, so some guys got real close, but no one, uh, no one nailed it on the on the money. So either they were using a range finder and just fudged the data a little bit, um, or they uh, they they weren't. And they did it legit. I don't know. That's probably within measurement error of a range finder. Two meters. Yeah, yeah no Except variance from one model to another. John John's never used a range finder, so it's it's not. Well, he doesn't need one. Well, <laughs> sound yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. right. He sounds pretty capable with the old milling. Range finder. Nah, it's crap, John. John, how far is that? Just eyeballs it. Three ninety-seven point three. Yeah. Range finder says three ninety-eight. Yeah. Fair call. Fair call. Um, so it was. Uh, yeah, it was really good. It's good side match. Um, and then at presentations, probably my favourite thing from the weekend happened, um, apart from my skateboarding incident. But the uh, the best thing happened is uh, Luke won, uh, which was great. Uh, proceeded to pick up. Um, actually, I've seen Luke walk prize tables before, and and sometime or most of the time he'll walk up to the prize table and he'll sort of walk up and down it and sort of work out what he wants or needs or whatever, and then flip the table and, over, flip the table over, and just pick some stuff up off the ground. Yeah. No, he, he's. No. Yeah, you know, he's sort of looking around for, for whatever it is. This time, I've never seen him walk up to a prize table so quickly. He's walked straight up to it, grabbed the Defiance barreled action off and then walked off. I'm like, I, I thought, well, you, you knew you wanted that. Fair, fair enough. No, no problem. Anyway, a few moments later, I saw a young little Eddie walking around nearly with tears in his eyes and holding a barreled action Defiance. And I'm like, what's uh Oh, I... I can guess what's happened here because it's, it's not the first time Luke's given something away, but he basically grabbed it, walked straight over to him and handed the 14-year-old, uh, the youngest, you know, PRS guy that we've got um, and gave him a brand new uh, barrel action. So that was a pretty cool story uh, and it's amazing to see uh, at a match and, yeah, it was certainly my highlight from the weekend. Um, yeah, so, uh, so on you, Luke. Um, actually, a little story about the Luke, the uh, first time I met him. First time, actually, we probably all met him, uh, was at a, the second PRI match, and he uh, he did a very similar thing. He uh, he picked up his something off the prize table, which was Magneto Speed, and uh, only prize he got, and he gave it away to uh, the guy who I think ended up finishing last, maybe, or didn't do so well. Didn't do so well. Didn't have good data. Um, yeah, data was, problems. Yeah. yeah. And that same guy actually has given that Magneto speed to all those years ago, uh, just got invited to the finale this, well this week. So clearly he's coming a long way. That's a really a good, good um, shows a really good character mm. with Lucas being in that situation. You know, he's got, he's got the gear, he sure as hell knows how to use it. But yep. it's, it's fantastic to see him 
you I'll know, put, helping, giving it to somebody else that needs it. And to give it to know. a junior who, who uh, during the match, broke his bolt. <laughs> you can probably relate to that, Bronte. Um, Wouldn't <laughs> have any idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Nothing ever breaks for me. But he pulled, like, it's just, he got a good head on him. He pulled the, pulled the bolt handle off mid-stage and then sort of just grabbed what was left of it and just continued to run the rest of the stage with barely... Barely breaking, uh, breaking position. So uh, yeah, clearly, uh, yeah, he'll 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 go on to do good things. I suspect. It's kind of suggested that it's happened before. I don't believe so. No, no he just just kept his head together. Just knows how That's to deal well with done. the situation, and and away he goes. As far as I, can, I mean, he, maybe it's happened every week. I'm not really sure, but uh, yeah. So after presentations, uh, we. Uh, we're still there with our Huntsman guys, uh, Rob and Joel from Huntsman and uh, Dave from Cutlass. And we thought, oh, well, these guys have been really good to the, the match and really good to us. So, yeah, let's let's go grab dinner with them and we'll shout them dinner. So we've gone off to the uh, the pub, uh, walked in there. This is about, about quarter six on a Sunday night in Bigginton. This will give you an idea of the size of the town. So we've gone in there, we've walked in and we're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're here for dinner. It'll be sort of five or six of us. And they're like, oh, we, we close in ten minutes. Oh, okay. So where, where else can we go? Oh, the servo does pizza. Okay. All right. So I've, I've rung Rob and said, uh, mate, um, we can go to the servo apparently. <laughs> uh, do you want us to take you to dinner at the, at the servo? Uh, so we, we went to um, the ISIS servo, um, which is on the ISIS highway. Um, so we went in there and, um, yeah, pretty much got, um, that apparently the guy, I don't know why, but he's like, uh, oh yeah, no, pizzas, pizzas will take 45 minutes. I can do your burgers. We, okay. We can, we can wait. Oh no, I'll just do your burgers. You guys want burgers? Clearly he doesn't <laughs> like baking pizza. <laughs> so, so, okay, well, so we all grabbed burgers and, uh, probably, you know. Probably called up the pub afterwards. Like, <laughs> you, you bloody stitched me up again, didn't you? <laughs> Tell them I made pizzas. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway. We, They'll we, be talking about that for years. <laughs> we went in there. Yeah, we had five guys work up, like, who do they think we are? <laughs> Sorry, mate, we're closed. Sorry, who wants to get fed at 6.30? <laughs> we don't have five steaks, mate. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, we got pizzas at the server. <laughs> And all sat around in the servo uh, eating, eating you know, no, pizzas, burgers. And, uh, and I'll be fair, they're pretty good burgers. They Did they have bacon on them? Well, we asked for bacon on them. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did, we did. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was us treating us now to dinner. <laughs> was uh, was servo burgers. So anyway, um, Biggerton, it's full of all the nightlife, mate. It's full of all the nightlife. Just never, never closes. <laughs> never, <laughs> never really opens either. Yeah, well, can't close it, never open. <laughs> no, well, that's it. But it was, it was good. Um, it was good fun. The community hall in there looked after us and uh, had pretty cheap drinks when we were there. And yeah, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. So good match. Another another one of the series. The next one is the finale, which is back here. Oh, just back to home. any international sponsors looking to branch out into Australian PRS. Yep. Servo burgers. Servo burgers. Servo burgers. <laughs> yeah. We'll, tell you we'll what. take you out to a lavish dinner of yeah. servo burgers. Oh, and then we had ice cream. It always sounds fancy if you say it fast. What about <laughs> if you do it with a French? I was going to say French. Servo burger. <laughs> servo burger. Oh, that sounds flash. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Scrape me up one of those. 
Yeah. That'll so. be your master chef next next year. <laughs> Guarantee it. Yep. This week's challenge, Savoie Baguette. <laughs> what the hell is that? Never heard that. A little it's panic. It's amazing. <laughs> it's Mick will just be like, mate, they're trying to get you to cook pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> the pub up June for pizzas. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was uh, that was as flash as we got in Biggin. And uh then we went back to the back to the range and yeah, kicked about and had a had this. Which was uh, I, I was looking around Dan Murphy's and found Jamison Cold Brew, so Irish whiskey with the taste of cold brew coffee. Yeah, infused with the taste of cold brew coffee. It was uh, it's not bad, really. If you if you like your coffee and you like your whiskey, it's pretty much so. So I'm I'm intending to make some Irish Irish. Uh, isn't Irish coffees. isn't Irish coffee just coffee with bourbon or whiskey with, in it whiskey anyway? In it. Yeah. yeah, Irish whiskey. Yeah, so yeah. this is sort of like Irish uh, Irish coffees in a in a bottle. Have try a little bit of brandy. Smells good. Right. Like yeah, yes. We've just a precision drinking podcast now. We've moved into. Actually, we were there. We we're there a long time ago. To be fair, kind <laughs> <laughs> of where it started. Yeah. Yeah, nothing much has changed except we got fancy recording gear that we <laughs> forget to turn on. <laughs> It's <laughs> not half bad, actually. No, no, that's that's, that's true. You, you want to nip oh, I'll, there? I'll have a. Yeah, this is uh, the best content we could possibly make. So anyway, apparently it's limited edition or something, and uh, I would I would highly suggest it. I wish we were getting paid for this, Jamison Colbury. How's that gone down? I mean, it's not the best Irish whiskey to start with, but you know, it's. Uh, uh, but it's not, not a bad idea. No, concept's good. Concept's good. So <clears throat> we'll carry on with some of that. Brilliant. So that was, uh, although this may have been responsible for my broken finger, um, I'm, I'm blaming some of that. And uh, the other, oh, the beverage, the beverage of the weekend was brain hemorrhages. If you're familiar with brain hemorrhages, no, they generally seem to be quite terminal, don't they? Uh, not the not the seven I had the other night, <laughs> which they are they're peach snaps for half a shot glass, layered with uh, with Bailey's or whatever Irish cream you want on top, and then you drop grenadine in on the top on that, and it looks what you imagine a brain hemorrhage to be. So we uh, we racked up a few of them on the Thursday night for a few guys, and they're like, oh yeah, what is this weird sort of? And then they tasted it and they went, that is amazing. It was uh, and it was good. And then I. Decided skateboarding was the best thing for the night and broke my fingers. So that was a, that was a good start to the weekend. Realistic, I think you probably got away pretty lucky with only <laughs> you broken are, fingers. You are Generally, if you go right. seven brain hemorrhages, then skateboarding, <laughs> you're expecting it to be limbs, not well, just usually, digits. Usually once you've had seven brain hemorrhages, you're not going skateboarding. So well, I, I, was, yeah. I thought I was way in front of you're that point. You're doing quite well to be ambulatory at that point. <laughs> and not just in an ambulance. So uh, yeah, I was pretty happy with that. It was good. Uh, right, what else have we got to uh, to go on with? Oh yeah, question from the uh, Precision Rifle Australia group. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, looking for recommendations. This is from Marco. Looking for recommendations for three hundred eight muzzle brakes. Most popular brakes I've seen through research is the APA Little Bastard Gen Two and Area Four One Nine Hellfire. Has anyone tried these on the same rifle and perhaps notice a difference? To add a third to the mix, the Area Four One Nine Sidewinder has my 
Curiosity 2 seems to be the most reduction on recall, but also great for staying on target and re-engaging at a faster rate. This is all research based on info that I've found, like some field data results from those using them. Uh, length or weight of the muzzle, not a factor. I'd like to hear your choice and what you do don't like. Have any of you guys used those, know what they are, seen them, heard of them? I've got the little bastard. You've got a little bastard. I've had yep. a little bastard. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, it's a very effective brake. It earns its name because it is also a very loud brake. <laughs> <laughs> and anyone shooting next to you calls you a larger bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, you know, all the area um, 419 stuff is all pretty, pretty bloody good, really. Um yeah. They're, they're one of those companies that if they're putting a product out, they've done their testing and they know it's know it's pretty well squared away. Um, that's, that's a sidewinder there. Yep. Which, uh, so that's one of the self-timing brakes as well, is isn't self-timing it? self-timing and, and so is the uh, APA. Yeah, and that's probably one thing that if I was in the market for a brake would be pretty high on my list of criteria to have a self-timing brake. That one there is the Hellfire. Uh, the Hellfire is a three three port. The was the Sidewinder is a four port. Um, Self timing as well. Yeah, I think there was a Mad Scientist one kicking around a while a back. Ma- mad Scientist break. Yeah, and their sort of claim to fame was the first port port was at ninety degrees. Oh yeah, and then the subsequent ports after that were angled back at I think forty five or something like that. And the whole idea of that was it kind of helped protect the shooter. A little bit because you okay. had that blast of gas at perpendicular. Yes. And then you had the, you know, your later ports angled back, which gives you your additional recoil reduction. Um, mm-hmm. But you were kind of shielded a little bit by the by the um, first perpendicular port. Oh, yeah. So you mean that's the, the one there? Yep. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, that's an interesting, interesting concept. I think the, the big thing that I, uh, you know, that – Learn from breaks is, is if it's a reputable brand, um, they're generally going to be a good thing. Mm. Um, how much difference they are between the two, between several models, I don't know. Some guys like three ports, some guys like four ports, some guys like probably more. Um, I I haven't noticed a big difference between more or less of them. Um, there is the uh, the APA chode. As well, yeah, which we have to mention, which is a single port break, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The chode, the micro bastard, the little bastard, the big, the fat bastard, and then like the triple X bastard. Yeah, yeah, for the big I stuff. I got the fat bastard, and that that is a fantastic break, yeah. but yeah. it's big. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's uh, it's yeah. I think um, if you're in one of those major brands and you're in one of the uh, the, the the known breaks, um. Sort of, yeah, you know, I like the self-timers and, and away yeah, you go, I, really. I think the self-timers are quite beneficial um, mm. because, yeah, if you've ever had to try to time a muzzle brake um, yep. or know the person that's doing it well enough that they tell you their honest opinion about it, um, yes. you'll soon realise that, yeah, timing muzzle brakes is less than less than an enjoyable <laughs> experience for most people. Obviously, some guys are great at it, but it's, yeah, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Yeah, no, self-timing seems to certainly be uh, – it's become much more popular and, and you see more and more mm. options in them. Yeah, I mean the biggest nowadays. thing with the, the ones that you have to manually time, you kind of put it on. Mm. You normally have it at about, you know, 11.30 or whatever it is. So yep. after the thread stretch and work a little bit, it comes to square. But then inver- inadvertently it's always going to be over or it's never going to be yeah. 
Yeah, you're never ever going to get it right, and it's nah. Because a self timer, you can you can tweak and adjust and bits and pieces. Mm. So, what, one thing to consider on that would be uh, what thread pitch it is, uh, thread pitch and size it is. Because um, I was reading that uh, even machining it down to the five eight by twenty four or what it, whatever it is takes a lot of meat off of heavy barrels. Yep. Okay. And you end up more with like a sporter profile at the end, and that mm. can affect your accuracy if it's um, oh yeah shot good, over a long thought. time and it can. Um, I think it was belling out like the barrel was opening up because there was not as much meat on there. I don't – this right. – and mm. like with people over-tightening them as well. I could see over-tightening it doing sure. some serious damage. And yeah, they were absolutely. recommending going to the next size up and that the 5.8 by 24 was only adopted because the military adopted it and then everyone else ran with it. Yep. Um, yep. And it just became sort of the, the go-to thread pitch in size rather than it having any um, – Great benefit over a larger yep. thread. Yeah, I could see definitely if you went to town and over tightened with a self timing break, you've with with as you're saying with a five eight, um, where you've lost a fair chunk of material. Yeah, you get a good opportunity to do some do some damage up the front end. But that's the thing with most of those APA like the APA little bastard. You really don't have to put it on there that tight, and it stays in place. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you don't it's, need to it's, like wrench yeah, it on. They say you can, but you can. Almost do it hand tight and then oh, snug I, it a bit. Yeah, so that's, that's all, all you want. Hand tight and yeah. you know, mm. very, very light, snug and never moved. But mm. that might be just because it's like seized on there with all the carbon and crap because it's never been cleaned. But yep. But the thing, it hasn't come off and it Correct. hasn't loosened. So yeah, exactly. Go. Yeah, mm. yeah. Just so, just something I'd read, and this was on like uh, thirty cow and larger. Um, barrels where they were saying, like, okay. I, I guess the smaller, maybe six and a half and six mil, it's not as big an issue because you're not taking. Oh, well, yeah. More meat in the middle still. Yeah. You're not taking yeah, that okay. um, bore diameter into yes. account. Mm. Yeah. Um, hmm. But yeah, it was Good just some, something to think about. And when the people who were writing it said where the 5.8 came from, it was just a, um, originally a military thing, they said they want all of them this size and then it just sort of stuck and people ran yep. with it and there was no actually um, real reason why they'd picked it other than they were told to. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, but I guess it probably depends at what point in time it gained its popularity, but if, you know, the most militaries in the Western world have been running a, you know, a 22 cal for yep. quite some time and, the you know, the barrel profiles of 5.8 threads probably about as big as you'd fit on the mm. – this was mm. referring to like larger um, profile barrels. Yeah, okay. Yep. And they're saying you don't need to take that much off just to get a break to fit because it's the popular one. Mm. Take less off. Yep. Well, I think the tickers, they were they're 18, 18 or something. Yeah, like, yeah, M18 or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, there was a, uh, there was someone e from New Zealand that did a stack of tests on muzzle brakes, although that's gone back a while. Do you know if that bloke's updated that? I'm trying to, uh, trying to I think. I don't yeah. know if it's updated. I have seen the Yeah, I'm the pretty test. sure he put it on either a swinging sort of setup so it would measure how far back under recall it would go with the various yeah, right. brakes. Um, I don't uh, – There's, an, there's another was, bunch of guys in the US that have done it as well. Yeah, they had – Jam corn flour down it basically to give you the pattern of where the brake was so it looked pretty cool. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, this, this other lot had a – uh, what was it, a recoil, like a pressure sensor pad at mm. the back yep. of it or something like that? Yeah, I think the interest, I remember reading that one. And mm. the, what I found quite interesting in it was that a 30 cal brake with a 6 mil versus a 
a six mil break on a six mil. Mm-hmm. Yes, the six mil break was more efficient, but it wasn't negligible. It wasn't a it huge wasn't, amount. You know, this one does five percent. That one does ninety five percent. It was very yeah. Bugger all different really. Yeah, okay. We'll see if we can try and work out who's uh, – it's been a while since I've, I've watched those videos or website or wherever it was. I'm surprised if it would have been in New Zealand because they're actually lucky enough to get suppressors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Terminator brakes are from New Zealand off memory. Mm. And they're a, they're a really good brand. I think it was comparing those versus a number of others as well. So, yeah. But anyway, it's all right. There's both – yeah, I mean, a number of guys in the US will, will opt for a muzzle brake over a suppressor. Oh, you do get more. Um, yeah, depending on the scenario. You will get more recoil um, reduction with a muzzle brake typically. Mm. Um, mm. And the other thing, you don't necessarily worry about a muzzle brake getting hot, whereas you do. No. Uh, you yeah. do need to be quite mindful, especially if you're letting off a number of rounds in a hurry. Yep. Of suppressors getting pretty damn warm on the outside. Yeah, not wrong. Not wrong. Uh Right. Well, uh, we have some questions regarding reloading. Uh, I've got a specific question from someone who's been waiting patiently since August for us to answer this question. Sorry, mate. We will uh, we will get there now. But the other thing is, we did a uh, did a post up on uh, on Facebook and had uh, lots of comments from people. It was uh, what is the one reloading process you've done that has had the biggest effect on your shooting? So uh, let's let's read through a couple and we'll delve into anything that's of interest. <coughs> uh, neck sizing for me, I just couldn't get the things to stay in the neck up. Before yeah, that. okay. They just go straight through. Yeah, I think it was that's... the powder holding them up. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. That's important. Uh, I'll, I'll leave now. <laughs> all good. Uh, Matthew Butterfield uh, actually doing it. Oh, that's pretty fair, to be honest. Yep, that's it. Uh, Mitchell Alderton, stop drinking wild turkey rare. Hashtag all aspects. Thanks, mate. Uh, Michael Taylor, putting the powder in. What, just like as a life decision, stop drinking <laughs> or just while you're reloading? Probably both. <coughs> Probably both. Uh, Sounds Michael, like terrible advice then. Michael Taylor said putting the powder in. Uh, which uh, I did take a few guys in who could probably learn from him because there was a few guys at some recent matches who did forget to put powder See, in. There you go. Yeah. It's not a good feeling when you hear the click and you're like, hmm, that didn't sound banging enough. Yeah, yeah. And then you go, oh, that must be my primers let me down. Yeah, and yeah, then you pull it out and the RO pulls out the bullet and there's no powder there and you, oh, it's my fault. Yeah. See yeah. uh, doodles. Annealing from Kieran. I agree with that. Yeah, annealing yeah. Um, is... Is I found that to be quite um, a beneficial process for reducing my standard deviations. Someone else has said uh, AMP annealer uh, as well, which ticks the annealing box. Uh, all right, some one from Greg Hamilton: bending ammo straight with a concentricity gauge. Have you ever done that, Brad? <sighs> I do have a concentricity gauge. Yep. And to be honest, it was a waste of a couple hundred bucks because I used it once, found out that my ammo was as bad as straight as I could get it yep. anyway and <clears throat> sat in the bottom drawer since. Okay. I personally, um, I don't like the concept of bending ammunition straight again. Mm-hmm. I'd prefer to get it straight in the first place. The reason yes. why I'd be uh, – obviously it's relative to how much. If it was at a 45-degree angle and now you've squared it back up, that's that's one thing. But if it was only out by half a thou or a thou, then yep. that's different. But yep. um, 
I'd be concerned because it's then introducing some inconsistency with your neck tension because if you've had one that was dead on straight mm-hmm. and that's got the same neck tension it come out of the dial with, you've now got one that's been tinkered with. Yes. Um, it's never going to be as consistent as if it was all of them come out the dial in the same fashion. Fair point. Fair point. Um, I have I have seen it firsthand make a difference, um, which is which is good. I'm a big fan. Um, oh, don't get me wrong. But, I agree with concentricity yeah, making a huge right. difference. Yeah. Getting getting something concentric is is very critical, but that's far more important and much better to do in the in the process rather than yeah. fixing it. it. Although, <laughs> if you fix it, sometimes that will show you how much of an important factor it can be, mm. and you then go through the process to make sure you get that done. It's about working out where that problem is. If you know if you because you do get bad dies that are just cut on the piss basically when they made them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. No matter how hard you try, <laughs> you, you're never ever going to be able to produce straight ammo out of that die and the only thing you can do with it is throw it out and get a new one basically. Fair. Or um, send it back to the manufacturer and get them to give you a new one. Uh, you have to throw it out. That would help as well, yeah. Because you've paid good money for a shit product, they should Yeah, but fix if, it. if it has a three-letter name on the side of it, you can't expect too much. Yeah, but it, it wouldn't. That's RCBS got four, mate. All right, uh, one here from Philip Murray. Uh, it's made me. It's made me take my time with my shots. Not that I put so much time into each round. I think. I think it's. Uh, he's basically saying he's much more careful with with shooting because he knows the process of of creating the ammo. But he really wants to make the most out of uh, out of what he can get. Oh, it's probably the opposite for me. <laughs> Shoot more, don't you? Yeah, because it was a case of, you know, you had to go buy ammo and you're like, how much for 20? <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> now you're buying in bulk and you're like, oh, well, it's cheaper now I'm in bulk. Yeah, and then you end shoot up shooting more. 100 rounds rather than, you know, 30 yep. rounds. Uh, one here from Jeremiah. Uh, flash hole uniforming. Um, he drilled them out uh, to 2 mil and they run a 5.5 on the inside to take the burrs off. Yep. Uh, has got his ES down to five now. Many moons ago, we did uh, we did a book book review book looking. Uh, we read we read on this podcast parts and bits and pieces and went through the uh, uh, um, advance. Oh, I'm going to get the name wrong now. It's with the Brian Lids books. The impact uh, impact. No, not that book. That was a different reading. Oh. <laughs> um, it was the. Uh, Advanced ballistics. Advanced, modern modern advancements in long range shooting and ballistics or yeah, something like that. Excellent book from Applied Ballistics. Uh, volume two was the one, and they, there was lots of tests done in there about flash hole uniforming, and it, it certainly was probably the, the biggest standout from that area, that section of the book mm. um, about that. Your mileage is going to vary a bit with that. If you've got some. The American brass is always real bad for it. Depends being, on brass, yeah, being, um punched primers rather than drilled primers, yep. um, flash holes. Yes. Um, yeah, the drilling, drilled ones, which was typically you, European was normally drilled and you, like yeah. the old rule of thumb, obviously things change, change a bit when you start to get your premiums like your alphas and all these sorts of. For sure. Boutique yeah. ones that are just top top shelf brass from America. But, yep. um, you know, that does make a big difference, especially if you had these big dirty old dags in there from when they punched in them the process. in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Getting rid of them makes a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I've, I've certainly seen um, 
difference in that and, and significant effect, which is uh, which is good. Uh, the other one he mentions there is uh, putting his powder throw into a lab spec power supply, uh, which is I guess the same idea of what you do with your UPS is trying to level out that, that uh, flow power quality basically, improving mm. mm. that, which is uh, which is very useful, very interesting to see that improvement. Uh, still not a lot of information about the new RCBS one. I actually have no. to Google that for a little while. Anyone remember what it was called? No. Match Matchmaster. That's what it is. Still Sounds like there. a dating website. Well, yeah, fingers crossed. Um, they're releasing a shooter's version of Tinder. That's what it is. Good on them. <laughs> Reload. Uh, all the impact jokes. <laughs> uh, impact. We're going to Facebook. That's what we're looking at. Reading off things off there. Uh, getting the gear that allows for high level of consistency and confidence in the end product. Yep, pimping out your gear. Um, that's good. Switching out my Reading T7 turret press for a Forster coax. For some reason, the coax just about eliminates uh, all run out. Um, which is interesting because that T7 I've consistently heard really good results with it. Um, coax is also very good, but yeah. Yeah, I mean the whole one of the selling points, correct me if I'm wrong, you've you know, you've got one of these and yeah. you've used it a bit, but the whole selling point as I understood with the the Forsters was essentially the dies floating yep. so it can, um, it can adjust self-align itself yeah. a bit. Um the reading is from what all the court accounts, you know, one of the better of the turret presses. Mm. Mm. Um yeah, the, the, yeah. There's probably the only turret press I'd actually consider getting mm. um, is the T7. Um, so maybe that for resizing everything and use the forced of seating. I don't, I don't know. Whatever yeah, combination you like. I still run the cheap and dirty rock trucker. They are a yeah. pretty good press. Yeah. Uh, from Tom, you don't have to call it cheap and dirty then if it's good. Well, it's not so cheap. It's just dirty. Uh, yeah. Going back to beam scales. Um, uh, really, that didn't improve my shooting, just the tool I was using. Yeah. Uh, so he's gone from from the Charge Master to an RCBS 505. Any thoughts of going from, from the auto back to the manual? Uh, you could drink more while you were reloading, but we've since established that's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, we'll cover that. There's a couple of comments on that. Yes. Well, it'll take longer. So. <laughs> yeah, I... I think it makes it makes sense, particularly if you've got a good experience and, and, and good knowledge is you will focus more on getting that powder measurement right rather than being a little bit reliant on the on the machine you're using. So the potential for increased accuracy could be there. Well, what is the scale in a charge master? Is that one of the flash strain ones gauge, or one of the strain gauge cheapy? Oh it's the you know, cheaper common, than two. Common production yeah, you know, it's not a lab scale. Well, there it's, might be something in that. Then. Oh, he's yeah. yeah. A, a, a tuned um, beam scale will be more repeatable. Typically speaking, yeah, it's less prone to drifting. And yep, absolutely, he can yeah undoubtedly get equal or probably better if he does everything right results yeah. with that than you will with a a strain gauge based scale. Um, but mm. comes at a sacrifice of time essentially. And it's no, going to take no a lot PRDs. No, lack of PRDs. Lack of PRDs, yep. yeah. Is, You're not going to get electrical interference. Correct. You don't have to spend thousands of You don't bucks. need to worry about mains power failure. Yeah. Mm. Mm, so we're promoting beam scales. Is that our is that our official position? Oh, I'll, I've still got one. I've got one of the 1010 sitting in the bottom drawer. It's 
hasn't been used in a long time, but right. still got it and still got don't it. plan on getting rid of it. <laughs> Good. I got one of the, like, like O House. Yeah, yeah. From 1932. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's super accurate. Yeah. When Good. You, when you put the test weights on it and you can tune it to be accurate at a, uh, at a, a range of powder that you're throwing. So, yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I, when I was using the beam scale, I went the whole hog and built a little stand to put it on so it was up at eye level That's so right. I didn't have to yeah, bend yeah. over. I extended the needle so mm-hmm. um, get a finer finer indication point and um, we rigged up a um, webcam. Yep, so you could watch it. it. Yep. So then I could, you know, magnify it so you got like a tablet-sized screen of this little needle. <laughs> and all that stuff helped. Helped and it was worked really well, but sure. it was just a shitload slower yeah, than what yeah. I can't load got. 150 rounds for a match or more. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, the thought of going back to a beam scale makes me feel very unwell. Yeah. <laughs> After what I've, You're looking nervous. I'm, oh, I'm like, nah, no way. Yeah. Uh, count, counter, uh, counterpoint from Jeff uh, getting charge master and not trickling has had the biggest effect on my sanity. Which I think leads into your second point there. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Of, uh, it's all well and good, and and it is probably very good. But um, yeah, how how long do you want to spend doing it? There are some people that find it therapeutic. For me, I just find it frustrating. But <laughs> there are some people that find relearning therapeutic. Allegedly, allegedly, or well, they just say that to make themselves feel better. We'll never know. We'll <laughs> it's never a coping know. mechanism. <laughs> this is making me feel better. I am a better person. Uh, attention to <laughs> why is it taking so long? <laughs> Attention to detail, making the process consistent and repeatable from Drew. Really good points. Yeah. Uh, trimming factory brass, the correct length. He was running, whoops, he was running PPU in 243 and I was only just chambering in the uh, ticker after first firing. So, um, okay. yeah, anyway, obviously trimming fixed that uh, for him. Has um, anyone mentioned setting their dies up? <sighs> Differently than what the instructions that come with them say. No, no one has mentioned that. That's something you found. Oh yeah, because I, um, so I full length three size all every firing, um, but I set my dies up so they're only bumping the shoulder back one, maybe two thou. Okay. Rather than the instructions, which kind of talk about wind it all the way in, then yep. half a turn or a quarter turn or whatever it was. Um, uh, yeah, that's not how I set mine up because you tend to be bumping the shoulder a, a lot. Yep. Um, which then leads to shorter case life and more prone to case head separation, all those lovely things. Sure, sure. But to do that, you need the um, proper measuring tools. Yeah. you. Uh, oh, the proper measuring tool is great, but if you're running a 308 base case or even a 65 case or not mm-hmm. necessarily any old case, just go – Grab a nine mil piece of brass off the ground at pretty much any range and use that as a, um, oh, yeah, put a nine mil case over the end and use that to with your calipers and it's pretty to bloody close. Okay. Uh, not one thing alone made a massive difference, but a lot of small details certainly helped consistently over the whole reloading process. Were very important, uh, but it's true, but we're, we're looking for individual <laughs> examples. Um, from Michael, doing one thing at a time. Number one responsibility is safety. In tens of thousands of reloaded rounds, I've never had a case with no powder or primer or caused any other dangerous situation. 
showing off now. The benefits. No primer, it's not very dangerous. <laughs> it's not going to go off. <laughs> the benefit is ammunition tailored to suit your rifle, which is probably more accurate and almost always cheaper to reproduce than factory rounds. Not to start annealing as the quest for consistent neck tension, I think, is really important. It really pushes into the bushing die territory as well. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, speaking of which, there is one here that says, uh, says something along those lines. Yeah, I've lost it. Um, was that bushing die and turning your necks and all that? Then you, yeah, all of that stuff, that rabbit hole. Reading, reading S type bushing dies was one comment from Joel. Uh, is that all the comments said? I've got, yeah, correct. Yep. yep. Uh, and then one from the rum baron sipping a nip of Caribbean rum whilst reloading. Sounds pretty solid. Uh, can't can't formally uh, back that, but um, he uh, sells rum, so I guess he's going to say that at every opportunity, isn't he? <laughs> That's just his go-to answer for everything. <laughs> so I, it's, everything's better with rum. I did say always on the sales pitch, mate. Yeah, always there on there. Yeah, yeah. Over on the Hunting HQ podcast where he resides, you'll regularly get a rum fact, depending on how much rum he's had. Uh, will be the uh, the the level of interest on that particular rum fact. Always, always good. Anyway, so there's a bunch of comments, guys. Thanks for for, for throwing them at us. Uh, it was uh, it was good to see lots of discussion. There was some threads that went on for a few comments deep as well um, about different ideas and ways of doing things. So it was very good to see. Now we have a, a particular um, particular comment here, um, who I've copied and pasted and put somewhere else, and and now don't know who sent it to us. Let me go back into the original message. That'd be the sensible way to do things. And we shall find out from Tom. Tom sent us a message. Here we go. Uh, Just listening to a few old episodes while banging away in the shed with my other hobby. Oh, that's that masturbating in the shed. Yeah, maybe he's a filmmaker. I'm not sure. Um, We'll see. Anyway, (laughs) um, enough about that. (laughs) That old hobby. (laughs) I didn't realise it was a hobby. (laughs) Well, Well, it was just like a get through the day thing. (laughs) (laughs) Would love to hear your thoughts or even if you discuss reloading kits. I'm a semi-experienced shooter but have always bought factory ammo. Having just Bought my first precision center fire, 6.5 Creedmoor. I'd like to start loading my own. There are obviously many kits out there for the beginner reloader. Are there any better than others? Additionally, after reading an article on the precision rifle blog, I'd like to add extra steps to the process, being neck turning and annealing. Purchasing an annealer is out at this stage, but can get it done fairly cheaply by a friend. The other tool that seems to be fairly critical is an OAL gauge. Love to hear your thoughts, suggestions, or discussions. Right, um, kits, Bronte kits. Should you buy a kit? Should you build your own? Should you what? What should you do? Don't say it's depends on your budget. Well, I could say well, it depends <laughs> on your budget. Yeah. <laughs> if it doesn't depend on your budget, okay. Um, oh, personally, I would buy the components individually because. I guess a lot of people start off with a lead kit and that's a really great way of starting. Starting. Yeah. You know, you've never reloaded before, done very little shooting. You want to find out whether it's for you. For not a huge amount of money, you can get all the bits and pieces to make ammunition. Yep. But I think most people that have started with a lead kit don't use for, and then have progressed to reload on a regular basis and spent more money. Yes. Probably don't have anything left from that lead kit that they use. Maybe the powder funnel. Show, show holders maybe? Show holders, uh, yeah, like the odd, odd bits and pieces, uh, uh, often the primer, 
priming tool. Oh, hand, I broke hand mine. Priming tool. Yeah. yeah, I broke mine pretty quickly. Yeah, okay. That. Send it back to Lee. They're, they're pretty good with that. Anyway, um, but, yeah. that aside, uh, yep, fair fair point. You know, and it's you can they're a good way to start. You can upgrade your bits and pieces as you as you go through. Um, what about uh, something like a Reading kit or a yeah, Honda uh, kit Redding or something? Reading RCBS, they they well, they are probably a better the, kit to if you if you know that this, you're interested. This gentleman's in just bought his first precision centerfire. I think he's committed to yeah, taking yeah. that next step. I would caution against buying Lee kit. Just because you're going to end up replacing everything. Yeah. If, if you're at that point where you're like, oh, no, I really want to get into this. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. I, I wouldn't get that because you're going to replace just about everything. Yeah, RCBS kit's probably one of the better ones kicking around, but yep. I wouldn't buy a kit personally. I would buy, yep. you know, whether it's uh, any of the name brand presses. Yeah, you know, your, your Rock Truck is a good press. The Reading Big Boss, I think it's called. Yeah, Big Boss. Same, same. T7s. You know, if you've got the money, the, the Coax is... Would be awesome. Sure. Um, yep. You know any of those sort of solid, well-made cast presses? Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to do you well. And then yeah, your, your bits and jits. I mean, I wouldn't buy a kit because all the kits come with a beam scale. And yeah, sure, it's great, but I couldn't. I got but, an RCPS kit that came with electric scales. Did it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hornady do. Yeah. Um, oh really? So uh, some kits that will. Yeah. For sure. Cool. Yeah, they won't come with the Charge Masters or the uh, whatever the horny one's called, but they, they come with scales. Oh, so little electronic scale. Oh, there's different variations again yeah. still. So, yeah. So I, what did you do? Did you buy a kit originally when you started? Oh, uh, like. Um, back in the day? Like back, back, back in the day. Back, yeah, first, like first reloading price. 20 years ago, yes. Yeah, you um, bought a kit. Well, I didn't buy it. Dad bought it because I was only it. about like 10. Um, yep. But I made most of the ammo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we bought one of the, the um, Lee kits and that lasted and made plenty good enough ammunition for spotlighting because that's sure. what we did at that point in time. And, you know, a 300-meter shot was a really, really long shot yeah. you know, at that at that point in time because that's what we grew up with. Um, but, yeah, I guess none of that stuff from that Lee kit has survived. Everything got sure. replaced. That has been twenty-ish years, as you. Oh as yeah, you but it got out. replaced a bit quicker. A than that. heck of a lot okay. quicker than that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Busted the, broke the casting on the um press. Yes. You know, the Lee scale that used never get lubed. Oh well, that was half the problem. I used the Lee lube that come with it, and then realised that glue, was a terrible idea. Yes. It is. <laughs> yes, it is glue. Um, well, what about you, Dodge? You, the typo. You, you bought a kit recently, didn't you? Yeah, I bought an RCBS kit. Ready? No, nah, RCBS. They did buy RCBS. One of them, I don't know what it was called. Yeah. Uh, I took advantage of our exchange rate with the US before they put tax on imported stuff. Got gotcha. it from the US and it was half the price of what you paid yeah. over here. Yeah, right. Um, can't Thank do that know. anymore. No. Our dollars tanked and they yeah. put a 10% GST on everything. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, and that came with uh, pretty well everything to go to – to start, but I've added um You bought trimming. a press not that long ago, didn't you? No. No. No, no, no I'm no. still using the same press. Still the same one. All right. um, I'm, I'm, I've just used the uh, the press mount Lee trimmer, the quick trimmer, whatever it is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is yep. which is really good tool from them. Yep. Um yeah, I wouldn't get one of the other trimmers where you gotta use the pilots and the lathe style. Yeah, the lathe style one. I just think that's overcomplicated. Yep. Um, which a lot of the kits have. So when I'm looking at kits, if it's got one of those in, I sort of it's out. can it because it's just something I'd never use. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yeah, that came with the press, thrower, um, trickler, scale, electronic scales. Yep. Yeah, okay. Uh, and it, was, it wasn't that expensive, but like I said, I that was before um, they introduced that. 10% sale, uh, sure. sales tax on stuff from overseas and I think our exchange rate was about a dollar to a dollar then. Yeah. So it worked out it quite, good then. quite cheap. Yeah, my chair's got a, got a thing up. on it. Yeah, it's pissed me off. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. But, so yeah. I, when I when I started reloading, I, uh, I didn't buy a kit. Uh, I just went and bought the various parts that I thought I wanted. Um, and I think uh, I kind of want to say that Buying a kit's not a bad thing, um, given my experience. My, my my situation was unique, though. So I, at that stage, I worked in a gun shop, and the gun shop had reloading, a reloading bench, reloading setup, and so I got to play with stuff and reload at the shop prior mm. to actually buying. So when I did buy, I was buying with a reasonably good basis of, of knowledge and experience, and I yep. could pick the things that I wanted. Uh, initially anyway. Mm. Um, but if you um, – the, the problem with putting together a kit uh, that, you know, you're not just buying off the shelf and buying off the shelf as a kit is generally a bit cheaper than buying all the components, uh, which make, makes sense. But um, if you're not sure what you're wanting to get, um, you'll buy what you think you want and very quickly work out they, not they, actually they aren't what you wanted or, or whatever it is. Whereas buying a kit of, of whichever budget you're able to, to, to afford um, allows you to have the things that you need to reload and then spend some time learning how to do so. And so I'm, I'm, I'm probably softened on that. I'm not, I'm not against buying those things because then when you do buy the replacement, so even if you start with a lead kit, and I'm, it's not a bad way to go because for $300-ish, you will in – six months, nine months, year, whatever, how long it might be, you'll work out, right, this process I want to upgrade, I want to improve yep. and I've used that now and I, I like this way of doing it or this way of doing it, whichever way you want to go with it. Mm. And it gets you started, gets you underway. Um, so I buying, just used all your stuff when you got it Yeah, to be on. Well, that was like probably two years I was using. Yeah, yeah your it stuff came around and, and loaded. And, what I really was going to use and what I really wasn't and then bought a kit off that. Based off that, And yeah. I don't think there's anything in my kit I don't use. Yeah, yeah. So that's – that's that said, I that's knew what I was uh, looking, looking for. for. Yeah. yeah. And you so bought I, the kit that matched. Yeah, I suppose maybe maybe trying to find someone with a kit and just, you know, asking to borrow yeah. their stuff but maybe get your own dyes. Um, yeah, that's what you did, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah I was dyes. using my own dyes and then um, yeah. all of your stuff and really got to – Good idea of what worked and what I needed and what I didn't. And yep, yep, yeah, mistakes was... I'd made. Yeah. Mm. So I think uh, that's that's sort of the caveat. If you want to put together your own kit, certainly the the better longer term way of doing it, buying the bits and pieces you want, and probably in your situation, uh, Bronte, is once you got to that point to buy your own gear, not not use dad's gear. You were well into knowing what you wanted, what you exactly. needed, and you just bought the stuff that you were after. Yeah, I bought the stuff that I wanted because I knew what I yeah. needed and how it worked and what it was good and what wasn't. Yeah, and, and I was probably at a similar position when I did that and uh, and then Dutchy found a kit that suited the, the knowledge and experience he had at that point. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't I mean, be, I've added a lot of stuff to yeah. that kit now. And you will. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but if you're using the majority of what you bought, that's a, that's an uncommon story but shows that you you would yeah. practiced. That's probably the difference buying the, something like the RCBS kit where, you know, you're getting pretty decent scales in it. 
you're getting yep. yeah, decent yep. press. Like, you know, I'm using a rock trucker now, which pretty sure most of those RCBS kits come with a rock trucker. Yes. Um, yeah, my thrower came our, with two barrels as well, so you can, yes, you can change, change them, them out. out. Yeah, yep. I'm using the the RCBS thrower. I'm using a RCBS hand priming thing, so a lot of my mm. stuff would be the same yeah. gear that come That'd in. That would be the, the only thing I'd change on mine, my hand primer. Yeah, it's, yeah, a it's a pain in the ass to change the shell holder over. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 yeah That's about cool. the only Yes, I agree with that. Thing. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I but think. it's a good primer, so. I think, what was yeah, that? I snapped my Lee one, so. Mm. I snap yeah, a lot of things. Where if I, that's right. That's probably more unused because I've, <laughs> I've got still my original Lee is still going. Uh, I've, I've bought the, the more updated versions, which is certainly better. But uh, yeah, so reloading kits. Um, again, jump in where at a budget you can. Do you uh, buy a kit first up? Is probably the advice we're defaulting to. If you haven't got the experience to buy to buy the right bits and pieces that you need, it'll get you there and, and then you can replace things as you go along. Sort of defers the cost over a bit of time. If you money's get around, no object though. If money's no object. Yeah. I would well, buy all the top. Because yeah. You know, well that's <laughs> yeah, I mean find someone that's willing to sell one of their Gerard, draw garage and tri- <laughs> trimmers. You like everybody's got one. Will never le- get never, rid of it. Never sell it. Yeah. yeah. Same with the amp annealers. Everyone's got one. They yeah. all love them. And never get rid of them. I mean, that's if it. coax. You know, yeah. find find a secondhand coax. You'll never find one. But given that he said that uh, purchasing a annealer is out at this stage, it's probably yeah, it's probably financial. <laughs> it would be few yeah. people that money is no issue for. And yeah, just, just go. Oh, here's ten grand worth a gig. Buy A and D set up, and yeah, that's uh, very true. Uh, so, so continuing on his his conversation there, um, extra steps being added into neck turning and annealing. Um, so, but annealing out of the moment, we we we've. Probably harped on that annealing is a very useful process, and we all, uh, well, certainly, I know that you you've done it. Brandy, I would say stuff, stuff, stuff doing neck turning as well. Oh, at this stage. unless you're unlucky and stupid, and <laughs> he's not unlucky or stupid. He's got us giving <laughs> him advice. No, no, what he's lucky, lucky and like he's going to be clever. <laughs> unlucky and stupid, where I got a tight neck chamber, so and then I wanted to decide it would be a good idea to use um, Lapua brass, which yep. just doesn't quite fit by about. Three thou, so I am gotcha. forced to neck turn. Gotcha. Otherwise, I can't chamber around. Yeah, neck turning is one of the ones that's perhaps um, has mixed results uh, across the board. I think it's something you could go to if you needed to, but I, I wouldn't jump straight in. Yeah, it. I looked at I looked at it uh, for ages, thinking whether or not I'd do it, and I just decided not to. Uh, if you don't have to do it, I don't because it's yeah. not an enjoyable process. <laughs> yeah, it didn't look – there's a lot of lot of problems you can run into if you're oh, not yeah, keyed donuts. up. Donuts. Like don- yeah. Donuts. Mm. Everyone thinks donuts should be a good thing. I mean, neck turning, they're not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then uh, how much tooling you have to get to get oh, it accurate yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah all like, that oh, stuff. This is blowing out for yeah, – I don't know if you want to actually measure benefit. what you've turned and yeah. then you've got to go pay another 300 bucks for this little yeah. micrometer with a ball on the end. Yep. <laughs> Do you think the annealing would be better use of money – um, compared to neck turning. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, the only reason I'd neck turn is if I had to. I wouldn't sure. neck turn for fun. Yep. Um, you know, annealing, I've noticed an appreciable improvement in both accuracy and reduction in SD and yep. ES as a result, what I'd directly attribute to annealing. Yeah, especially okay. if you were starting reloading, I wouldn't throw neck turning in Yeah, as something you'd want to rip into starting because you just get like, Yep. It'll just be overwhelming. You'll be like, this is ridiculous. Mm. What am I gaining for all of this effort with the potential to have 
you know, fairly catastrophic failures if you don't do it properly. Well, the worst thing you're going to do is destroy cases, which... When you're on welfare, the, mate, and the worst uh, that's thing. a pretty uh, pretty bad thing for, to have happen, isn't it right, Dodgy? I wouldn't know, mate. <laughs> oh, What's that new job you got? No. Nah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I no, I don't neck turn. <laughs> I'm, actually, <laughs> I'm actually keen to try neck turning. Now that I've got a lathe, I want to try neck turning on the lathe because I reckon that would be so much quicker and easier. Nice. Um, yeah, speaking about new shooters and, and reloading and getting, well, not new shooters, but new reloaders, um, I had a guy ring me today and, and you know, many guys will know Projectiles Warehouse sort of uh, thing is is the sample packets um, and doing that sort of thing. And he was just starting out and reloading and he, uh, he said, oh, maybe I'll, I'll pick up a bunch of sample packs and get started uh, with it. And I, th- I said, my general piece of advice, and you guys can tell me if I should change this, but is generally, look, mate, buy a hundred of something that's going to sort of sit within the the uh, the parameters of what you want to achieve and go and load them and shoot them off before you start loading up lots of samples and lots of different variation because I think for someone who's new to it, um, particularly the first time they're doing it, um, getting a 100 through and down range will, will just uh, get you a bit more experience because you, you'll see that much – you'll see a reasonable amount of variation, particularly when you start, mm-hmm. um, depending on the type of person you are perhaps. But uh, you see a bit of variation in there that if you're trying different loads, you may not see the benefit of those loads. Uh, um, I, I would agree. Yeah. yeah. I think you did right there because uh, there's did a lot you, of things you can stuff up in the reloading yeah, process, yeah. not quite doing things properly And if you're trying to change your powder amount every four rounds or three rounds or five rounds and then you're changing your projectile seating depth every 20 rounds and, and you're doing that sort of thing, if you're experienced, it's no, it's no, no issue. It's just what, what you do is for load development. Mm. But if you are learning it, you're probably best to crank through 100, 200, 300, just get them down range, get, make sure they're good, test your equipment out, look for any problems, try yep. and get them as consistent as you can. And once you're shooting decent groups out of it, then head down the load development path. Totally agree. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, – I, I would yeah, suggest – if, if as soon as you start changing projectiles, you, your whole – like There's a whole stack of stuff you've got to take into consideration. The whole process resets. Yeah. You can't use pretty like any of your other – Pretty experience, much, yeah. and if you're starting out and you got five new projectiles, uh, you know, with your twenty of each, yeah, to make up your hundred, you're just going to confuse yourself with overload of data, and you're not yeah. going to have like consistent. Whereas if you've got a hundred of the same, you can go, all right, well, this small amount of charge difference makes a difference in uh, your, yep, you know, point of impact this much or your deviation That's, this much. Like, yeah. Whereas if you got five to choose from, you're just going to confuse yourself. It's the old scientific method to change one variable at a time so you can actually monitor it. You know, you yes. change two things. Great, this is better than all the last one was. Okay, but what Why? Made, what mm. made it better? Is yeah. it the different projectile that was better or is it the different powder or well, something you else know, you didn't know about. something in between <laughs> yeah. that I didn't realise changed? Yeah. Or it could no. be both, but yeah. Uh, the other tool that seems fairly critical is an OAL gauge. Depends. Uh, overall length gauge. Yeah, as in for measuring your... Measuring off your, uh, your your projectile or off your um, O-guy, really, um, yeah. to work out... It's not to work so much out. overall length anymore, yeah. is it? It's uh, O-guy of the lens. I don't use one of those anymore. Okay. I bought one, used it for a while, yep. and no longer use it. Why? What do you do instead? I... So basically my process is I will um, seat a round very long that I yes. know is going to be jamming in the lance. Yep. Um, I'll then take the firing pin out. I'll take the um, ejector plunger yes. out as yep. well. 
and I'll basically chamber the round. Yep. And if there's resistance on lifting the bolt up, sure. I know I'm jammed. Okay. I then yep. turn the seat die there. in yep. all the way up into the point that I can so, so, don't feel that click of that primary extraction. So the the uh, perhaps we'll, we'll clarify this way. The other process that's fairly critical is some way of measuring or setting your OAL. Mm. Um, uh, if if the question was that, Tom, then yes, definitely that is a, is an important factor to, to make the most of knowing where your bullets are seating. Um, is that particular tool critical? Uh, it's not critical. It's a good way of doing it, and and some people will really like utilising that tool. Yep, especially right. if they're having to pull their firing pin out and starting to pull yeah. extractors off and plungers. And yeah, yeah well, that's right. It depends how easy the bolt is to yeah. strip down because the tick is it's not quite as easy to pull the ejector plunger out. That's right. So it's a, it's an excellent tool, but that process is important, um, and that is that is one that's not too difficult for um, someone who's getting started in it. It's sort of a you do it once for that sort of round, and then you you're pretty good to pretty go from away. there. It's not like you have to keep changing stuff every single time. But another way to do all that is to just not prime the case or put any powder in it and just have a dummy case yep. out of your lot that you can just put yep. a projectile in and yeah, seat it as you would everything else. But then you've got to remember that that one's and, and there's, separate. There's all different ways of mm. achieving the same thing and there's different processes to it. The the OAL gave from Hornady is a is a, a single setup that's good. If you want to go down that path, I'd suggest getting a tap for it so you can make uh, your own modified cases. So with the, that's the actual like the rod with the plunger. Correct. Arrangement. Yeah, 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 they're pretty handy. Yep. The only thing I've found with those, if you uh, you can get inconsistent results if you don't use it right, which is sure. not unsurprising. Just most but, you things. know, if you push too much pressure on it, you'll actually find that you're jamming the projectile well and truly into the lands yep. by up to a reasonable amount. Yes. Um, yeah, you really don't need to push on the back of it too hard to, no, no, to no, get no. Just to, sort the, of just to just tap touch it. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's but it. one thing I would definitely recommend is the um the other part of that kit, which is like the Yep, comparator gauge. Comparator gauge, that's yeah, the word. So that measures off and the, then the little seat anvil thing on the yes. bottom, which is anvil base. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're yep. pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, they are definitely, definitely really, uh, really important. Yeah. They, in fact, perhaps more important if you are changing. Mm. They become really important when you are changing projectiles mm. uh, and trying different projectiles in there. Yeah, because then you get a really consistent measurement. I'd buy one of those before I bought the the other the overall, the other gauge, overall yeah. length. The comparator. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'd buy a comparator. Remember the headspace comparator? That would if you're full well, length sizing to do it. Headspace comparator. Um, with most 308 base case, you can get away with like a nine mil pistol. Case okay. Uh, I think oh, my yeah, said, um, my yeah. wooden dies actually come with a empty nine mil case oh, in really? the box. I thought it was quite amusing that they yeah, yeah right. they shipped it with just a yeah nine mil brass case <laughs> in there. Mm, okay, okay. Um, yeah. All right. So Tom, I think hopefully that answers a few things. Um, we're probably still you know not sure whether or not we <laughs> we go for a a kit or not, but um, there's some clarification there as to which you know which way. I, I don't think either is wrong or right. It just depends on your situation, your budget, and mm. the experience you have prior. And I think that's the biggest thing. If you haven't got a lot of experience with reloading, a kit's a really simple way to get started, and then yep. you, you will work out what you do and don't like. Um, off, off things and the, all the kits you can you can grab the kits, grab some dies and and be pumping out ammo that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just take your time with it and learn it, and away you go from there. Yeah, apparently, uh, apparently Tom is a underwater basket weaver. 
according to uh, according to this Facebook thing. Specialised trade there. Yeah, that's uh, that's right. So a good underwater dexterity, uh, which is. I'm like lacking dexterity all, all around at the moment. Typing emails is a pain in the ass right at the moment. <laughs> You're doing uh, it wrong, then. <laughs> <laughs> pain in the finger at the moment. <laughs> is that better? <laughs> yeah, very good. So what's coming up? Gentlemen, any shooting adventures coming up? We've got the uh, club matches this weekend um, kicking on. I've got to ride a rimfire match, uh, apparently. I'm just going to steal the Biggerton match and run some of those stages, I think. Of the distances. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then uh, finale invites for the PRS have gone out this weekend, uh, this weekend, this this week have gone out for the first weekend in November. So if you are anywhere near Adelaide uh, that weekend, first weekend in November, uh, or can be or want to be or anything, that will be a very good weekend to see virtually the best shooters in the country go around and do their thing. Mm. Um, so if you want to... Where's that going to be? Monado. No, at Monado, okay. Yeah, so it's... Uh, Returning back to uh, where the meltdown was, and should be uh, should be a very exciting weekend. <laughs> oh, the, the Monado meltdown. The Monado, yeah, not the, someone had a meltdown. Like, no, oh, no. so rubbish at this. <laughs> <laughs> no one has. No, had. I wasn't shooting that day. <laughs> <laughs> they just couldn't build a fire very well for the campfire, and that's oh, yeah. what they were meant to do. Yeah. Yep, I've had that once or twice. Uh, very good, Bronte. Any more full drive adventures coming up for you? Not planned, but it's the unplanned ones that are the most they're, fun. They're the best. I think the ones with a with a crowd are the best. Cheers, you on. <laughs> Especially when they Cheers, you on to do ridiculous things. <laughs> oh, I do ridiculous things by myself. I don't need encouragement. <laughs> oh, fantastic. The other one saying, you really shouldn't do that. No, but it will work. <laughs> well, you shouldn't do it, but I'm going to. <laughs> That's the best ones. Fantastic. All right, guys. Uh, thanks to our patron supporters. All Aspect T-shirts are available for the final pre-order and then they will be printed sometime in October. Uh, ready to rock and roll. So do that. Jump on that. Thanks for listening. Uh, any last words of wisdom, Touchy? Uh, at least we recorded this one. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Impact Dynamics.